In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, amen. Like we were saying in the introduction to the readings, all the, all the readings um, in this, that begin the beginning of the year are talking to us about how the Father looked down from heaven on high and had mercy on us and had provided for us this means of salvation. And like we were saying in the introduction to the readings, that if you look in Exodus 3, you find that God repeats twice to Moses. He says, I have looked down, I have seen, I have heard, and I myself will come and save you. All of this, of course, you know, is, is like pointing us to the incarnation and pointing us to that the Lord Jesus Christ will be incarnate of St. Mary and so on. But the, the, the church starts us off from the beginning of the story of salvation. And we began this month by talking about St. John the Baptist. And then all the Gospels after that, we're talking about how God likes the little people, how God looks to the little people. And we've been talking about that for a couple of weeks. Today, we find this, this very odd scenario happens. Jesus is invited to dinner um, at Simon the Pharisee's house, and he goes... And he's sitting at the table. And then this woman who was known in the city as a sinner, we don't know what she was up to. Maybe she was in the sex trade industry. Maybe she was, you know, maybe God only knows, right? But she was known as a sinner, enters his courtyard, stands at the feet of Jesus behind him weeping. And we don't know what brought her to that place. The same way that we don't know what brought Zacchaeus to a place that he climbed the tree last week. And the same way that we don't know, we don't know the inner deep stories of a lot of people, but we see their changed lives. If someone wants to refute, this is like an aside, if somebody wants to refute Christianity, the most useful and efficient thing to do is to present proofs that the resurrection could have never happened. So the most necessary thing for us is to have evidence of the resurrection. There's four clear evidences of the resurrection, extra biblically, like outside of the Bible. And the fourth one is, and you can look this up if you wanna just Google uh, minimal proofs of the resurrection, that's what you'll find it under, right? Um, and the fourth one is the evidence of changed lives. In the context of the first century, you had these people who were fishermen, who were this, who were that, who traveled the world, who were the fear of the empire, who changed the world. Like the whole thing just doesn't make any logical sense. A bunch of country, country bumpkins have caused the, the whole world to hear about Christianity. Like it's very, something, something is missing in the equation, you know? And then that they all chose to die for their faith. The evidence of changed lives is the fourth of the, in, that's you know, stated in the proofs of the minimal proofs of the resurrection. And we don't know, we don't know what happened, but we see the before and we see the after. And my, one of my questions for you today is what's your before and what's your after? Because that is your witness. Jesus calls us to be witnesses. Your witness is very much your before and your after. And St. Paul says multiple times, 
I don't boast, but if I boast, I will boast in my weakness. And we saw in first and second Corinthians chapter one, where St. Paul says that we were burdened beyond measure. Like the troubles that I encountered were so many, they couldn't be counted. They were immeasurable. My, the suffering that I underwent so much so that we had the sentence of death in ourselves. What, is, what does that mean? That means that it means that he felt like he was going to die. It means that he despaired. He says we despaired even of life. That's, that's the littleness. That's the littleness of St. Paul. So then he says, if I boast, I boast in my weakness. Why? Because I want people to be able to see the difference between the before and after. I heard a beautiful prayer, a beautiful prayer by one, one of the servants once was saying, Lord, let the, the work that you do in the service be so disproportionate to who we are that people could come to only one conclusion that you are the one who are at work. Like when you see David kill Goliath, you say something funny is going on here. Right? Look, nothing comes from nowhere. In a certain sense, the world is pretty mathematical. You can't have two plus, plus one equals four. If you see two plus one, and on the other side equals four, something is missing on the two plus one side of the equation. Something is not visible. So something invisible is at work. This is how it works. This is why God loves to work in the little things in our lives. God loves to work through the little people. God loves our weakness. God loves when we come to him and we tell him, I despair even of life. And St. Paul tells us, he tells us that we are not the ones who are going to deliver ourselves. It is, it is God who will deliver us. If we look, if we look back at, at, at the reading, he says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves. Why? Why, Lord, you let it get to a point where we despair even of life? Where, why, Lord, you let it get to a point where we are burdened beyond measure? Tab burdened is enough. Burdened a lot, okay? Burdened beyond measure? Beyond measure means like, beyond measure means it's immeasurable. Beyond measure means it's uncountable. Beyond measure means that when you look from here to the horizon, all you see is trouble and suffering. Beyond measure means no light at the end of the tunnel. Why, Lord, why do you have to wait to that point? St. Paul tells us that we should not trust in ourselves. But in who? In God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. I can f I share with you one of my confessions a, a long time ago, sitting with my previous spiritual father, and I was crying, and I was I was just so I was just so much in despair. I had given up hope completely, and I told Abuna, I told him, Abuna, I really, I really just want to die. And I was expecting him to say something comforting to me, and he said to me, You know, John, 
sometimes I kind of just want you to die too. <laughs> like, what? Here I am bawling and snot coming out of my nose and, you know, the whole thing, you know. And I'm, and I'm expecting like, no, no, it's not so bad and so on. And he says, wouldn't it be good if you died? Wouldn't that be nice? And I was like, um, not so sure about it. So wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be very peaceful? Wouldn't it be so, so restful if you were dead? It's <laughs> like, uh, okay, this is go I'm sure this is going somewhere. He said, yeah. He said, I think Jesus wants you to die too. And I think he wants to raise you up a new creation. I think he wants you to participate in his death. But it seems, it seems like you're still trying. It seems like you're still using your muscle and you're trying. And that's why you feel like you're pushing a boulder uphill. Because you're the one who's pushing. But where is God? Where is God in this story? It's still by my works. It's still by my strength. And then when I'm victorious, I will boast in myself. It makes sense. I worked. I sweat. I studied. I this. I this. And then when I was successful, I will take the glory. But that's not the Christian story. The Christian story is that we were beyond help. We were beyond measure. We were good as dead. And God made life out of us. And thus, when we go and when people see and they say, wow, you're so successful, you say, oh man, you should have seen me before. And there's a before and an after. But what happened in between and what happened with the woman who was weeping at Jesus' feet, we don't know. And what happened with Zacchaeus, we don't know. Because something invisible happened with that person that their before and after is so disproportionate. You could only conclude that someone invisible has been at work. That is a witness. That is what God is calling you and me to. But that requires just one small little step. It requires me to die. And so the second reading that we had was from St. John's first epistle. And he was saying, whoever, whoever is of God does not sin. And I read that all the time. I'm like, but I sin. Yeah, you see, what happened is I died to myself. I died to my will. I died to my selfishness. And I said, Jesus, whatever you do, tell me I will do. Wherever you lead me, I will follow. And all those beautiful things we say in those beautiful songs. And then something caught my eye, some temptation. And I said, hold on just a second, Jesus. I'll be right back, you know. And I ran off. So guess what? Like I, the, the death that I accepted to myself, to my will, to my desires, to my... I died in the baptistry. Oh no, but wait a second. And that's where it all comes from. So St. John is telling us, if we have indeed died to ourselves and we are alive in Christ, then we don't sin. If we sin, if we sin, don't worry about it. Just repent, return to God. And St. John tells us a little further in the same chapter, he tells us something really beautiful. He tells us whenever our conscience condemns us, we will be reassured because God is greater than our conscience and he knows everything. Did you catch that? Okay, you, you, you got to get this one. 
He says, if your conscience condemns you, talk to your conscience and tell your conscience, God is bigger than you. God knows more than you do. And God has made me righteous through his grace and through his love and his working in me and my participation with him. Let God talk back to your conscience. If you find that a little bit difficult to say to your conscience, say what he says in the chapter just before in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things are right to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the whole world. Who is my advocate? Who will defend me to my own conscience? Jesus Christ who stands before the throne ever interceding for us. That was in the second reading. The product of all of this is a changed life, is a life that has different works, is a life that is somehow discordant with the rest of the world. And that's why we find that the story of this woman who comes and weeps at Jesus' feet is really weird. Like it's totally out of the ordinary. Number one, what was she doing there? She wasn't invited. Number two, everyone would be looking at her and she would be publicly ashamed. Didn't seem to bother her. Number three, she'll probably get thrown out. Didn't seem... Number four, what confidence does she have in Jesus? How does she know? How does she know what Jesus will do? Did you look at what Jesus did? You have, to, you have to listen to the story carefully. This woman comes, so the, the way they had it in ancient times, right, is they'd have, in the courtyard, there would be a table set up. And prominent business people would sit at that table, uh, and their workers would come to them, and they would tell them, you know, we traded this, we got that, and he would approve the trade deals, and he would give orders for the workmen out in the fields, and this and that, and he would just sit at the table all day, Right? And so, and the gate was open and people were coming in and coming out and that's kind of how, how it worked. So it was normal for people to walk in and out through the gate to enter into the courtyard. But they were coming for a purpose. They were coming because they had some reason to be there. Then in the evening, they would clear all of that and they would set the table there and they could have a dinner there or a banquet or so on. Right? Especially if they were, especially if they were having like an honored guest, they'd want to kind of show it off. So the gates are open and the table is set and the, the honored guest is sitting and so on and the master of the table and this and that. And this woman just sneaks in through the gate, uninvited, and comes and weeps at Jesus' feet. So Simon says in his head, he says, he says, doesn't he know what kind of woman this is? Jesus answers Simon. Notice that Simon never said anything out loud. Look at what Jesus does. Jesus vindicates this woman from the thoughts and accusations that were in the minds of other people. Jesus didn't wait for him to say a word and embarrass or humiliate her. Before that, he asks him a question. So, a debtor had two debtors. One of them he forgave this much and one of them he forgave that much. What do you think? He forgives them both. Which of them will love him more? Trying to point, his, trying to point his, Simon to see that 
This, this woman loves because she's forgiven. This woman loves because she's been forgiven. Where did she encounter that? We don't know. That's the invisible part in the equation. That's the invisible part of the equation that we haven't seen. But God wants to have that same kind of invisible action in your life and mine. God wants to have that same kind of invisible work in your life and mine that will leave you, will leave you with a witness. We find the psalm today sums it up. The psalm today says, Save your people, bless your inheritance, shepherd them also, bear them up forever. And we find that God loves doing all of these things and Jesus did these things for the woman. He saved her from the accusations of Simon that would have ended her in humiliation. And he saves us from the accusations of our own conscience, which we talked about just a moment ago. Bless your inheritance. God blessed her. In the story, she ends up being the hero. You know what's funny? You know what's really, I find this, I actually find this hilarious. Not like laugh out loud hilarious, but like hilarious in my head. Like, doesn't make any sense. In all the stories of Jesus, someone other than Jesus is the hero. Like we never say, like, you know in the gospel of Jesus and Zacchaeus, we just say, you know the gospel of Zacchaeus? the gospel of the woman who wept at his feet, the gospel of Lazarus. In every one of those stories, Jesus is the one who, Jesus is the wonder worker. Jesus is the magician. Jesus is the one who's bigger than life. But in some really subtle way, he's managed to take these people, like, like we, we say the gospel of the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. Never say the gospel of Jesus at the well. And by the way, he met a Samaritan woman. Like, the main player is always Jesus. But in some really subtle way, he's managed to sneak himself into the background and give glory to these people. And he does the same with us. I've shared this with you before. God, I haven't read this in a book, and I don't know this. This is just my own personal suspicion that God has an addiction, and his addiction is to glorifying you and me. I might be addicted to nasty things. He loves. He cannot restrain himself from blessing you, from glorifying you, from making, from making, doing something great and then putting you in the front so you can take the glory. That's just his character. That's just how he is. Psalm 66 in the Igbeya is one of my favorite psalms. I used to pray this psalm before every exam. It says, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. That's what he does. Moses goes up the mountain, he comes down and he's shining. And they say Moses is glowing like the sun and they can't see and they're blinded by Moses. By Moses or by God? By Moses. But something invisible happened on that mountain that made Moses shine brighter than the sun. God wants you to shine brighter than the sun. And in the morning uh, we, and, and at noon, we pray this prayer. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause your face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your salvation be made known to all nations. 
Lord, I want to shine like the sun, like Moses, so people can glorify me. No. No. That the, that the whole world may know that you are God. Shepherd them also, the psalm says. Look at how Jesus is a good shepherd to this woman weeping at his feet. Look at how he protects her from the ravenous wolves. Look at how somehow he guided her from the path of sin to the path of righteousness, to the path of repentance. Look at how he cares for her. In the Gospel of the Good Shepherd, it's so clear in John 10 that there's only one Good Shepherd. Every other shepherd out there wants something from the sheep. Jesus is the only shepherd who wants to give himself for the sheep. That's what makes him the Good Shepherd. Like, think about it. Like, you know, you're an accountant or you're a business person or you're a doctor. You decide, you know what, I'm going to retire and buy myself a farm and I'm going to become a shepherd. What are, you, what are you gonna, you're just gonna raise sheep so you can pet them? No, you're gonna raise sheep so that you can shear them, sell the wool, milk them, sell the milk, slaughter them, sell the meat. You want something from the sheep. The hireling who works for you wants his pay. The thief wants to steal the sheep and use them. The only one who will give his life for the sheep is the good shepherd. Because he doesn't want anything from the sheep. He doesn't need anything. This is, this is when it says, when it says shepherd, shepherd them also in the psalm. Look at how Jesus is the good shepherd to this woman. Bear them up forever. Jesus bears her up. He elevates her. He raises her. So much could be said about the sheep that the shepherd puts on his shoulders and how he carries the sheep on his shoulders. I can't resist. I have to share this with you. Look, okay, little demonstration. Suppose there's a sheep who's lagging behind. There's a sheep who always goes off, off the path. There's a sheep who's a little, forgive me, dumber than the other sheep, okay? And the shepherd is like, you know, like he's going to get left behind. The shepherd says, I'm going to carry him, okay? Or he keeps going off the path. The shepherd keeps knocking him on his leg, knocking him on his leg, knocking him back. Finally, the, the, the sheep is limping and he can't walk properly. The sheep, what's, he, what's the shepherd going to do? He's going to carry him. Now, have you ever tried to pick up a sheep? Probably not. Sheep are roughly in the order of about 30 to, to 70 kilos, okay? So from the, the size of a school-age child to the size of an adult man, okay? So how are you going to pick up an adult man and put him on your shoulders, right? You're going to have some trouble with that, unless you're going to use what? Your core muscles. So what's the shepherd going to do? Now, now another, another little piece of really incredibly important information. Wool retains smell. You all wear a wool sweater to church. You go home, it smells like incense, right? Sheep's wool retains smell. What does sheep smell like? Manure. So their wool reeks of manure. What's, what are you going to do to use all your core muscles? You got to get under the sheep. So the shepherd is going to get down on his knees hold the sheep's legs, stick his head down under where, the, where all the, you know, his poo comes out and sheep don't have like a, a bidet or a water, you know, the, you know it's, it's, it's messy down there. He's going to stick his head, his glory, under the sheep in his most unpresentable area, get under him. What's this? This is a prostration, right? This is a matanya, right? This is what the shepherd does. 
put his head under him and lift him up. And where will the sheep end up? Higher than the shepherd. That's how a shepherd raises sheep. That's why God wants us to embrace our most unpresentable parts. Because that's where God will come and stick his head, stick his glory, and lift us up. And in the end, we will end up higher than the shepherd in the eyes of the whole world. We who were the sheep who couldn't keep up with the other sheep. We who were the sheep who was limping along. We who were the sheep who were disobedient, who were, who were, who were. That's what the shepherd does. Bless them. Shepherd them. Give them your inheritance and raise them up forever, says the psalm. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me, fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.